Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, the fact that you've given us an easy way to be involved in sharing light with others uh, through the printed page. And we just pray that as we look at some practical methods uh, that we can use literature, uh, that you would help us to be inspired and encouraged uh, as we do the work of planting those seeds so they can spring up and bear fruit and be harvested um, for your glory is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, the title for the second session that I've had is If There Is One, and there's going to be a quote that will bring that around um, here in a little bit. Uh, there was a young, uh, a young man. Uh, his name was Charles, and he was very interested in a new type of uh, substance back in the 1800s called rubber. They didn't know much about it back then. In fact, uh, they, they didn't really have many uses for it at all. Um, <clears throat> in, in the summertime, when it became hot, rubber would be kind of melt and be sticky, and, and really, you couldn't really use it for anything. In the winter, it would crack and become brittle and, and break up, and it, rubber was just not very useful. But uh, Charles thought, you know, there's something to this. I think we can probably use this... Uh, for a lot of different things if we can figure out a way to take advantage of it. And so he was always playing around with rubber, trying to figure out how uh, to get it to be more usable. He'd try different projects and it wouldn't work. And he didn't really have very much money, um, so he, he didn't have a lot of it. So the little bit that he did have was <clears throat> very precious to him. And he was playing around with it one day. He was always telling his friends about it, like, hey, check out this idea that I had. And, you know, one day, uh, he, he was there with his friends, and he was always talking about it, and, and he said, hey, look at this, I have a new idea uh, for how it can be more useful. <clears throat> and uh, they were kind of making fun of him, they weren't really paying attention, and so he kind of got upset, he, he got mad at them, because they weren't listening to him. And, you know, back in the 1800s, uh, especially in, in the cooler months of the year, the way that you heated up your house was with a wood stove. And so he was, he was standing there, he got upset, and he threw the rubber across the room. It just so happened to land on the wood stove. And of course, they were trying to heat their house with it, it gets pretty hot. And since he, he didn't have a lot of money, he couldn't just go out and buy more rubber to replace it, he wanted to keep that piece that he had been working on, so he went over and he took it off, but when he took it off the stove, he noticed that, it, that around the edges, uh, something different that he hadn't seen before. It, it had cured in a certain way that, that was a little bit different. And so he got this idea, maybe, maybe heat is the key to doing uh, what I want to do here. And so he began to work with it a little bit more and a little bit more. And before long, he found out that uh, he could use fire as a way of curing uh, the rubber so that it wouldn't break and, and it would be useful. And so before long, he had sent it out. Now, if, you, if any of you are entrepreneurs and you want to start a business, don't do what he did. He sent out examples before he patented it. And, uh, and somebody else got a hold of it uh, in Europe and patented it and uh, made a lot of money off of, off of this. But he invented the process called vulcanization which is named after the Roman, I think it's a Roman, uh, one of the uh, gods of fire. That's what it means, vulcanization. 
But heat, essentially what he discovered was that heat can be used as a catalyst to change the rubber into something that's useful from something that isn't as useful. He invented that process called vulcanization. And this is, his, uh, this is who it was. You've probably heard of him. His name was Charles Goodyear. He never became rich off of his invention, even though there's the name uh, that you see all over tires. Some of you may even have Goodyear tires on your car. Charles Goodyear. What he found was that the rubber needed a catalyst, something that could take something that was not very useful and make it more useful. You know, in many ways, literature is a catalyst for the message that we're sharing. doesn't mean that it's not useful without it. I mean, don't take the example literally. But literature can greatly increase the effectiveness of what we're doing. Let me just share. We're going to share a few stories with you during this session uh, as we go. The, Joseph uh, Talavera was involved in Youth Rush a couple of years ago here in Upper Columbia Conference. He was knocking on doors in... Uh, Kennewick or Richland. I think it was Richland. So Joseph was, was canvassing in, in uh, Richland. He was knocking on doors and he met this guy who he said, now I've never seen this show, but he said he looked like somebody from Duck Dynasty. Uh, he had this like super long beard, like a really uh, like gruff looking guy. And he met this guy. His name was Dan. And uh, so he met Dan and he was sharing some of the books with him. And before too long, uh, you know, Dan was saying, you know, I'm, I'm not interested. He kind of uh, put him off a little bit, and uh, he ended up leaving, and Joseph continued on down the street. And after a while, he kept on going down. Uh, he heard something behind him. He looks, and he sees this guy, Dan. He's running at him. And he's thinking, like, what in the world did I do? Like, you know, I don't think I did anything mean to this guy. Like, what's, what's he doing? Why is he coming after me? And... Uh, he gets to him and he says, hey, show me that book that you showed me at my house. And he was kind of going through a couple of the books that he showed him. And he gets to the great controversy and he, he pulls it out. He's like, yeah, that one. That's the one I want to see. He said, tell me about that book. So he begins to share with him about uh, how it goes over, uh, you know, people who stood up for their faith, you know, uh, some of the reformers. Uh, just explaining the great controversy to him. And he said, he said, you know what? I've been looking for this book. He said, I've been, I've been keeping the Sabbath in my house for years by myself. And he says, I've been watching this TV program called 3ABN. <laughs> and he's like, and one day I was watching it, and there was this guy up there who was running all across the stage. His name is David Asherick. <laughs> and he's like, and then at the end of his thing, he mentioned this book named The Great Controversy and said that he should find it. And he says, I've been looking for that book for years. And now you came to my door with it. And he says, I want to learn more about, about what it has to say. And he got the great controversy, a couple other books from him after he realized. But imagine, imagine Joseph. You know, he thinks, maybe is this guy going to like try to beat me up? And then it changes from that. This guy's been looking for the book for years. And Joseph was there at his door with it. Literature... Why can we finish off with the last session? Literature, one of the benefits of literature is that you can use it to go to people instead of people having to come to you. People don't have to be interested in it because you can knock on their door and share literature and they realize, hey, this is something I might be interested in checking out where they would have never looked it up before. Uh, publishing Ministry says on page 50, 
uh, and in a large degree through our publishing houses is to be accomplished the work of that other angel who comes down from heaven with great power and who lightens the earth with his glory. Now that references uh, Revelation 18 and verse 1 where it talks about the angel that comes down. Now we know based on what Ellen White tells us and uh, a closer study of Revelation that that angel comes and, and gives added strength to the three angels' messages. So that angel in Revelation 18.1 that comes down, lightens the earth with his glory, Ellen White says here, publishing ministry, that a large degree, the work of that angel is going to be done through our publishing houses. In other words, a lot of the light that's going around the world at the very end of time is going to be doing so because of literature evangelism. And what we talked about last time, uh, at the end of last time, is, is that people, many people don't know about the literature that we have. If I'm interested, if I want to become, let's say, a hot air balloon pilot. If you're from Walla Walla, you, you might like hot air balloons because they have the balloon stampede every year, right? And if you grew up here or been here enough to have gone to the balloon stampede, seen you've seen them? Okay. So they have, they have uh, that every year. So if I want to become a hot air balloon pilot, what, what's going to be the first thing that I do to figure out how to do it? Yeah, I'm going to look it up on Google, right? How to become a hot air balloon pilot. It makes sense, right? So what about somebody that doesn't know about our literature? They're not going to go and type in Seventh-day Adventist literature glow. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, they're not going to look it up because they don't know it's there. And so we need to take the literature to them, and the literature can stop them wherever they're at and essentially say, hey, this is something you should check out. And that's one of the great benefits. That's one of the reasons why literature is a great catalyst for things to happen with the truth because it can go where you can't go. In fact, we hear stories all the time about people leaving glow tracks in bathrooms, like at a rest stop. <laughs> and then they say, glow can go where you can't go. I mean, obviously, you're not going to be waiting there in the bathroom trying to preach a sermon to them. <laughs> but you can leave a track there, right? They got nothing better to do than to read something. It's, it's a great way to share. One other quote here. Uh, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 4. It says, If there is one work more important than another, it's that of getting our publications before the public, thus leading them to search the Scriptures. If there is one thing more important than anything else that we can do, it's to get our literature in the hands of people who need it. Now, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? I mean, there's there's a lot of very broad, uh, pointed statements that Ellen White makes. There's not a lot of them, but there's a few. If there's one more important... Now, that says a couple of things. That says that it's not necessarily more important, although I would say that it is more important than some things, but it's not necessarily more important than, than health work. It's not more important than, than pastoral ministry. But at the same time, what does this say? It's not less important. If there's one work that's more important than another, it's getting our publications before the public. So in other words, if we're going to shut down everything in the church except for one thing, what should that one thing be? Well, according to this quote, it's making sure we can get our publications before the public. Now, notice what the word was there, if. If we were. If we were to close down everything. Now, everything works together. You know, in that cycle that we looked at, preparing, uh, planting, growing, 
harvesting. Different types of ministry play roles in different parts of those things. And, and they're all necessary. So she's not saying that we get rid of certain ones. But if there's one that's more important, it's getting our publications. She wanted to make sure that we knew that it's important to get our publications out there so that people can read them. And they can search the scriptures. Why? Because that's planting a seed that sometime in the future, when some Bible worker comes and knocks on their door, when some Seventh-day Adventist moves into the neighborhood and starts talking to their neighbors about, about what we believe, or sometime down the road they can learn something, either take Bible studies or maybe visit a church or do something where they point back and they say, Oh yeah, I remember way back when I was, I was in the, the bathroom at a rest stop and I, I found this piece of literature. Remember that quote we looked at last time? More than a thousand will soon be converted in one day, most of whom will trace their first convictions to the reading of our publications. So let me just make another, you know, we're talking about very simple but profound statements. If we don't distribute the literature, nobody's going to be able to read it and trace their first convictions back to it, right? Yeah? So, in other words, the most important process of literature evangelism is distributing it. We, we can print all the literature we want, and if it sits on the church shelves, it's not going to do any good. So, the thing that we need to make it effective is to be able to distribute it. That's casting your bread upon the waters that we looked at in Ecclesiastes, right? As long as we share it, then we can leave it in God's hands to do what He wants with it. That's, that's one great thing about literature is you can turn it over to God and let Him do what He wants. In fact, Ellen White talks a lot about uh, people will get books or tracts and let it sit on the shelves. And then when something happens in their life, they'll go, they'll pick it up and they'll read it and it'll make an impact on them and they'll make a stand for truth. So how can literature be used? Let's talk about some practical ways that we can share literature. Uh, one, of the mo- one of the easiest ways that we can share Uh, the gospel is through literature. And one of the easiest ways to share literature is by sharing tracts. Little little pieces of literature, like, no, I don't know where the one went that I had. Um, Like this. You've all probably seen glow tracts before. You're familiar with it. Um, One thing that's that's great is just their size. You can take them with you wherever you go. In fact, they fit perfectly in my wallet. So I usually keep a few of them right here in my wallet. And if you get one that folds in half like this for the guys, uh, you can fit one in uh, without having it folded or, or bent or anything. So I keep it in there whenever I go on a flight or something. You know, even if you don't want to talk to anybody, this is a great thing uh, for somebody like George King, who's not going to be preaching an evangelistic series anytime soon, other than the fact that he's dead. He was a bad preacher. <laughs> he was a bad preacher. So. But he used literature, so you don't have to talk to anybody to be a literature evangelist. That's why they call it literature evangelism, right? Because what's the evangelist? The literature. So you don't have to be an evangelist. I don't have to be an evangelist to share the faith. The literature is the evangelist. Now, we're going to go back to elementary math class, which is probably the last math class that I ever understood. Um that's why there's calculators, right? So, what is this? Okay, that's a rectangle. <laughs> or at least a, a rough idea of a rectangle. What's this? Okay. I haven't used chalk in a long time. Okay, 
Let me ask, I'm going to ask you two questions. Is a, is a rectangle a square? Is a square a rectangle? Okay, so a square is a rectangle. How is a square a rectangle? But then a rectangle is not a square. How, how can that work? Okay, a rectangle has to have two pairs of sides that are equal and then another two pairs of sides and that have right angles, right? I think that's a symbol for this. <laughs> so, a rectangle, but two of the sides can be longer than the other two. On a square, they can't be. Now, if you're going to get a ruler up here, this isn't a, a true square, but it's an idea. So, you have that and all these sides are equal. I don't know what the symbol is for drawing that, but is that it? Wow, that's like that? Like all the way through. Like all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. How lucky is that? Now, I failed algebra in high school. <laughs> so I had to retake it, of course, and they, they let me graduate somehow. <laughs> but a, a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle is not a square. Okay, does that make sense to everybody? Yes. Okay, or at least a rough idea. It's, it's sort of the same with literature evangelism. In other words, a rectangle is a more broad category of geometric shape, right? Of which squares are a part. Squares are part of the rectangle family, so to speak. But, but all, uh, the square family does not include all rectangles. And it's the same with literature. Literature evangelism is like a, a rectangle, it's, it's a big group. It includes many different things. But a square is not... I mean, a square is always a rectangle, but a rectangle is not always a square. In other words, you can have some forms of literature evangelism that are different than others, but it's still literature evangelism. Why am I telling you this? Well, that's because many times when you go to Adventist churches and you say, I'm a literature evangelist. If you say, I'm a literature evangelist, what does somebody think? That you sell books. You go and knock on doors. And maybe if you talk to somebody that's old enough, they'll think you go and sell hardcover books for hundreds of dollars. And you go door to door and that's, that's how you try to make your living. And you say, I'm a literature evangelist. That's what they think. What are they thinking of? They're thinking of a square. They're thinking of one part of literature evangelism, whereas you can be a literature evangelism in a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different rectangles that aren't squares. There's a lot of different literature evangelists that are not coal porters. You don't have to sell a book to be a literature evangelist. You don't even have to knock on a door to be a literature evangelist. You can be a literature evangelist just taking a tract and putting it in the bathroom. Well, putting it in, you know, you open the magazine on a plane, stick it inside of there. Or if you're at a hotel, how many of you are staying at a hotel? Okay, about half of you. You can take, you can take a tract. You know, most hotels will have one of those Gideon Bibles in the drawer. Take out that Bible, open it up, and stick a glow tract inside and put it back in. Yeah, you're a literature evangelist. You know, there's a lot of different ways you can be a literature evangelist that don't involve knocking on doors, that don't involve selling anything, that don't involve even asking for anything. And so, uh, one of the biggest obstacles that I've seen 
to, for, that keep people from being a literature evangelist is the fact that they think you have to knock on doors to be a literature evangelist. You don't have to do that. That's one of the things that I really like about GLOW is it makes it so easy to be a literature evangelist. You can do it uh, in a lot of different ways, and you can still be effective as a literature evangelist. In fact, one I remember when I was working in California, uh, we had a guy that called in for Bible studies, or I think he uh, wrote in online, and he had found a tract inside of a barbecue grill that he bought from the store. He bought this grill, took it home, opened it up, and there was a tract in there on what happens when you die. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure if there's a connection with that or not. But he called and he wrote in and he signed up for Bible studies. He said, thank you to whoever put that there. I mean, did that person ever see the person that got that tract? No. Or at least if he did, he didn't know it was the person that got it. But yet, he signed up for Bible studies because he found that piece of literature in a grill. We've, we've, had, we've had people that find a, a tract on a park bench, and they call in and they sign up for Bible studies because they find a tract there. You can, you can be a literature evangelist without talking to anybody, without ever even meeting the person uh, that, that uh, gets the literature that you left. And so... Is Cole Portering literature evangelism? Yes. But is literature evangelism just being a Cole Porter? No. So you can be a literature evangelist if you're a doctor. You can be a literature evangelist if you're a lawyer. You can be a literature evangelist if uh, you're a, a sew, somebody that sews pants. <laughs> what do they call them? Seamstress. Seamstress. There you go. Obviously, I've never done that. (laughs) Uh, You don't have to be a Cole Porter to be a literature evangelist. In fact, um, there's a a lot of really cool stories that have come uh, from GLOW. In fact, let me just share um, a couple of them with you here. What's weird about this stand is it lowers, but it doesn't raise up without untightening it person listening to this recording is going to think, what in the world is this guy talking about? Okay. We had last year, um, ending on the exact 500-year anniversary of the 95 Theses being nailed, October 31st, uh, we, were, we did, in, in this conference, we did a GLOW mission trip. Our goal was to distribute a million GLOW tracks in 10 days. Well, we, we didn't quite reach the goal. We distributed 900,000. Uh, in 10 days, and churches, uh, a bunch of churches were involved, a bunch of uh, people were involved just uh, in, in going out uh, with us, where, wherever we were distributing, and a lot of really cool stories that came from that. One of them uh, came from a guy, his name was Knighton, and uh, he's, he's somebody that's been a coal porter, so he knows about, you know, knocking on doors and sharing and, and things like that, and he's used to having you know, divine appointments where God sets things up and, and he meets the right person at the right time. But the way that we were distributing tracks is just leaving them mostly on car doors because you can hit a lot of car doors in the parking lot. If you go down to Walmart or some of these stores, there's tons of cars there. And you can distribute, you know, one right after the other. Just put it in the car door, you know, hit one right after the other, and, and you can distribute a lot of literature faster than if you're going to doors. Especially if you're knocking on doors and talking to people, that can really slow you down. And if you're trying to reach a million you got to go pretty quick. So he was, he was uh, distributing tracks and putting them on car doors 
at, uh, at a store in a parking lot. And he was just going. And that morning he thought, you know, what, what kind of divine appointments, I wonder, uh, can I have just doing this, handing out glow tracts um, to people uh, on their cars? Um, and uh, he was passing out tracts that day. And uh, he, had, he had been in a parking lot. And he's going, putting, putting them on. And then this lady came up and, and said, uh, did you put these on my door? And he said, yes. Yeah. She said, you know, I've, I grew up going to the Mormon church. And I just recently left. She said, I, I couldn't wait to leave. And she said, I've been thinking about going to a Christian church. And I think God sent you to put these on my door. She said, what church do you go to? And here it was, he didn't do anything fancy. He didn't go to her. She asked him. All he did is put these tracks on her door. And she said, I want to get the information. Uh, she said, what other tracks do you have? He, he ruffled through, found you know, some different tracks uh, that they had, and gave her some other ones. And uh, she got the information to visit the local Adventist church in Spokane. All because... He was just going and putting tracks on car doors. Very simple, but yet still effective. Um, Glow started uh, just over 10 years ago in, in California, and obviously it spread around the world. Since it started, more than 89 million Glow tracks have been printed in the last 10 years. That's in uh, a bunch of different languages around the world. I don't know how many languages. I think we're up to like 40 or 45 or something like that now. Um, around the world, the, the exact number as of last night uh, that I got was 89,840,600 tracts. So uh, a lot of literature has been able to be distributed. A lot of really cool stories have come from that. Now, what are different ways that you can share literature? There's, there's two categories of ways that you can share tracts. Two, two categories of non-Colporter literature evangelism. In other words, you don't have to sell anything. This is giving out literature for free. So one of them is by going door to door. Now, this is probably the most common uh, type of outreach on an, in an afternoon on Sabbath or something that a church might do, is go door to door. Uh, and maybe you're asking for Bible studies Maybe you're asking for prayer requests and just praying for people. But if you're going to the door and you're doing that, you might as well just hand them literature as well. Something they can leave with them uh, and somebody else can find it. You, you don't, we don't know how many times people have signed up for Bible studies or even been baptized because they read a piece of literature that was left by someone else and they don't even know how they got it. In fact, last year we were having a bunch of trees cut down at our house. Um, and the guy that was cutting him down, he's not Adventist, but he's Christian. He was talking to me, and he asked what I did. I said, you know, I work with literature programs. I gave him a couple of glow tracks. He said, you know what? I became a Christian because I went into a bathroom in Japan, and I found a, a tract uh, on salvation there. I read it, and I became a Christian. It, it wasn't an Adventist tract. This was, he said, like 30 years ago. But he became a Christian because he read a tract in a bathroom in Japan. And... If you knew this guy, he, he's kind of a redneck type of guy. You know, he's not somebody that you would imagine who'd be traveling to Japan. Uh, I think maybe he was living there at the time or something. But it just 
really interesting to know that that's how he became a Christian. So you can, you can share literature going door to door uh, and just handing out literature. Uh, if you're already going to the doors, you might as well be doing that. Um, another thing that you can do is just not even knock on the door, but put them on the door. We do that a lot. Um, you know, if somebody says, I'm afraid to knock on the door, well, then don't knock on it. Just very easy. In fact, let me just share um, another thing that the people listening to this recording are not really going to understand very well because they have to see it. Now, how, how do you do that? Let me just give you a couple practical tips. There's a couple different ways you can do it. And I'm going to shut this door just to give you an idea. So when you go to somebody's door and you want to put a tract on it... Um, Sometimes they have a little screen thing where there's metal. You can kind of stick it in between. So let's say this is the metal like grate or something. You can, you can stick it in between and hold it there. Or let's say that it's just a door like this. Uh, sometimes there's a little rubber seal that goes around it. And you can slide it. <laughs> Here. No. See? You, you just hand it to somebody and they're ready to take it. <laughs> so there's usually... A rubber seal. Now, if they, if they open before you came, sometimes they do, but it's very rare. You know, there's a little rubber seal that's right on the edge, and you can just stick it in, and it'll hold it there for you. That's an easy way to do it. Or, if there's a handle similar, similar to this, usually it's not that big on a door, but you can fold the track like this and stick it in there, and it will stay like something like that. So that's... And a similar type of thing, if you're do, uh, putting them on car doors, uh, there's like a little latch like this. You can roll it like that, and then it'll stick right in there. Um, so you can just kind of fold or roll them. Or if it doesn't even have that, you can even just fold it like this and stick it in there. So a few different ways uh, that you can put tracks on doors. You don't even have to knock on the door. Um, one of the other things I really like about Glow is it, it's not intimidating. It's, people very rarely reject you. If, uh, if, if you're just walking, it depends on how you're passing it out. But if you're just walking, going door to door, putting them on doors, and somebody's standing outside, you just go up and say, here's something for you. And, and 90% of the time, in my experience, they've taken it. Um, now, one of the keys in doing that, and I'm just going to try to give you as many practical ideas and tips and things like that as we can, as well as uh, a few more stories. One of the keys to being able to get people to read it and to take it more efficiently is by saying less. Let me just give you an example. If I'm going to tell you, uh, let's say I have a flyer about an event. Let's say... We're, we're at GYC Northwest right now. So let's say I have a flyer. Let's say this is two weeks ago, and I'm trying to talk to one of my friends about the event. I come up and I say, yeah, you know, uh, here's a flyer about an event that's coming up. It's really cool. You should check it out. It's going to have all these speakers. And I go through and I spend 10 minutes talking about it. And, and I list all the speakers and I talk about them and I tell all the seminars that there's going to be. And, and you just wear the person out with how much you're sharing. How likely is it that they're going to look inside? Not really. Why? Because they think they already told me everything there is to know about it. So if you stand there and talk to them for 10 minutes about how great the tract is, the chances of them, of them reading it goes down by the minute. But if you just go up and say, hey, here's something for you to read. Or here's something for you. Usually what I've seen is the less that you say, the more likely it is for them to read it. 
Yeah, there's yeah the gift for you tract. Uh, you can just say that, a gift for you. You know, even if you're going through a drive-thru, we've had people call in that work at the drive-thru at Taco Bell because somebody handed them a tract. They read it and they called in for Bible studies. So uh, saying less about something, just in general, even if you're talking, even if you're passing out flyers for an evangelistic series, the less you say usually, the more likely they are to read it and to look more into it. So usually I like to say less about something. And you know the other benefit? It's a lot easier to say less, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to think of the right thing to say. You don't have to remember all the verses that, that you need to know about the 2300 days. You know? Because everything that they need to know is in the literature already. We're going back to this point. That's why they call it literature evangelism. Because the literature is the evangelist. It does all the hard work for you. So that's one of the things that I really like. Uh, one of the things that's going to help you to be a more effective literature evangelist is to make sure you always have literature with you. If you don't have it with you, you're not going to be able to pass it out. One of the great things about having literature with you all the time is it opens your eyes to opportunities that you have to share, to share the literature that you have. Because if you never carry literature, you're never thinking about where can I share this literature. Maybe you even want to do it one time if you're going on a walk. Instead of just carrying it in your pocket or in your wallet, Put it in your hand. Think about where can I pass this out? And now all of a sudden your eyes are open to different opportunities. Maybe God wants to use you to pass it out to this person who's walking their dog. Maybe he wants to use you to pass it out to somebody uh, you know, who you're never going to see, but you just leave it on their door. Uh, you know, Your eyes can be open to a lot of different opportunities just because you have it with you in your hand. You know, If you're in your car, you go through a toll booth or something, you know, if you're paying for parking which you probably aren't going to be doing if you're in Walla Walla, but it sounds like none of you live here anyway. <laughs> you know, So you can go through a toll booth and give it to somebody there. There's so many different opportunities all around you every day that you have to pass out literature if you'll just take advantage of them. In fact, one of uh, my great aunt, uh, she um, had a favorite way of passing out literature, and I've kind of adopted it. And uh, especially as you get older... Um, you will start getting a lot of junk mail. And inside of that, the thing that you're probably going to get, especially once you turn 18, 21, if you you haven't yet, you're going to be getting a lot of credit card offers. Now, inside of those credit card offers, there's something that's very handy. It's called a return envelope. Okay? So here's what I do. You open that envelope with the credit card offer, you find the return envelope, you throw everything else in the recycle bin, and then you put three or four tracks in the return envelope and you put it in the mail. Because it has postage already paid, you don't have to put a stamp on it. And now you shared thing, and you didn't even have to leave your house. And you're a literature evangelist. Right? So, and what my great aunt, she always said, she always said, either they're going to stop sending me this mail or somebody's going to read this eventually. Yep. So either way, it's a win-win, right? <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's ways all around you. So one of, the, one of the biggest hurdles that you have is remembering to, have the, remembering to get the literature, to carry it with you. Maybe it's, you know, ladies uh, putting it in your purse or guys putting it in your wallet or putting it in your pocket or putting some in your car when you run out. So one of the best things that you can do is why not use technology? If you have a smartphone, set a reminder. You can set a reminder 
uh, for, uh, you know, even location-based things. You can say, uh, hey, Siri, remind me to put tracks in my wallet when I get home. Okay. See? I'll remind you about put tracks in my wallet when you arrive at home. So now when I get home, there's going to be a notification that pops up and it says put tracks in my wallet. Now you remember to do it. So now when you get home, you go and you, and you find the tracks and you put them in your wallet. Right? So even, even very simple things that you can do to remind you to get tracks and to put them in your wallet, put them in your purse, put them wherever you want. Or one, another thing that you can do, what I've done before is put up a little, uh, little holder for literature right by the door. So you see it right when you're leaving and you can take... Uh, you know, if you set a reminder when you're leaving, it's not going to tell you until you've pulled out of the driveway. So it's a little bit too late. So that's why I said getting home. But you can put a, a little literature rack there. In fact, if you want to uh, write this down or, or take a note, we have these things called paper pockets. These, are, they're really cool. You can go to the, our website if you go to glownorthwest.org uh, slash paper pocket, or you can just find the link there. It's basically a paper literature rack. You just take a regular piece of paper. You can download these for free. Print it out on any paper that you want, and then uh, you just cut it and fold it, and it makes a, a rack out of paper that fit these just perfectly. So you can take that, and you can even take that and tape it up around town. You can put one on a telephone post. You can uh, take one to the, you know, if you're uh, on the gas pump, you can even tape one right there and put, you know, three or four tracks in it. And even if they take it down, it's not like you lost anything. It's just a piece of paper, right? And, and the tracks are there. So you can take one of those and put that right by your door as a reminder that when you leave, you know, grab some tracks and take them with you wherever you go. So a lot of, a lot of the things that help you to be more effective in sharing literature is just having them with you. And if you can get them with you and think about how can I pass these out, how can you make sure that you keep restocking yourself with them, uh, that's going to help you to be able to share more effectively. And... Uh, one of the other tips uh, I'll share with you after this next story. Uh, there's a, a girl that was helping with our mission trip. Her name is Emily. And <clears throat> she was uh, passing out glow tracks in Yakima. And it was a Sabbath afternoon. Uh, they were passing out tracks there. And she was going down the street. Uh, there was a, a younger woman that had tattoos all across her arms, all across her face, uh, that came up to her and she was holding the tracks. Now, one thing that we do uh, at the mission trip is we pass out several tracks at a time. We'll come back to that thought. But, uh, so there were several tracks and she came up holding the tracks and she said, are these yours? And she said, yeah, they are. Uh, we were passing. She said, you know, there was a guy that came by and left these on my fence. That's another thing that you can do to save time. If they have a fence, you can put it right on the fence instead of walking all the way up to the door. You know, you can just take it, fold it like this, put it right in, inside the fence. If it's a chain link fence, you know, uh, it helps you to go even faster down the street. So she said, yeah, I found these on my fence and I was curious what they were. And so she said that she read them. And in fact, the one that she read first was the one called Unity Greater Than Truth. It has a question mark. Essentially asking, is unity greater than truth? It's on the Reformation. She said, I read that tract, Unity Greater Than Truth, and I loved it. And she said um, that she loves God, and she uh, began to read more of the tracts. She liked all of them. And then she 
she asked a similar question to one of the other stories. She said, what church do you go to? And she, said, she told her that she's a Seventh-day Adventist. And she said, what do you guys believe? And so she began to share with her about what she believes. She said she broke down the main belief. She talked about the Sabbath. And she said, you know, I've been studying the Bible. And I came across and I've been seeing that Sabbath is Saturday. But I can't find anybody who believes that. Now here's Emily with tracks and sharing with her about the Sabbath. And she said she affirmed her that that she wasn't crazy because of uh, what she was believing. And she talked about the state of the dead. And she believed the same uh, on what the Bible says about the state of the dead. And she said, you know, I haven't been going to church anymore because nobody believes what I'm finding in the Bible. And she said, can I get your church's information? I want to visit your church. Now, she didn't even pass out those tracts. She was just going, and the person that got the tracks came and found her and said, I want to visit your church. One of the things that is great about tracks uh, that you can do as well is you can pass out more than one. This is a great idea. Not, every time you're passing out literature, instead of passing out one tract, try passing out two. In fact, or you can do three but uh, if you're doing three, a great way to do it is you can put one inside of the other, and that way it holds together just like one track, so it's easy to just grab. So you can put those together at home or something, and then when you, it's time to pass it out, if you have a bunch of them, you can just grab one, and you know there's two in there. So you can do that. Um, and, and it even makes it a little bit more stiff for putting it indoors and stuff like that. I did it the wrong way there. So anyway, passing out two at a time is really great. Why? Because everybody doesn't need the same thing. Remember the quote that we looked at last time? She said that in our unwise judgment, we may think, or in our erring judgment, we may think it's unwise to give literature to the very ones who'd accept the truth most readily. Mm -hmm. In other words, the people we think, we look at a person and we say, that person needs this. That might not be what they actually need, right? And so a lot of times, a lot of times what we've seen with uh, glow tracks Adventists sometimes can be scared to pass out certain tracts on certain topics. Why? Because maybe you're afraid that they're going to get upset with you, or maybe you think it's not what the people need, or maybe that you don't want you know, them to judge you or whatever. So if you pass out two tracts at a time, you can put something like the state of the dead with something like, does God care that I'm hurting? You know, and you can put those together, and then either way, you know, whatever end of the spectrum they're on or in the middle or anywhere, <clears throat> you're going to be able to share something that can reach them. So you can maybe put one, put one of the tracks on health and then one that's a more doctrinal type of topic. Put those together and you pass those out. So now you're hitting a broader range of people uh, when you're passing out literature. In fact, if you read through Cole Porter Ministry, read through Publishing Ministry, there are many times where she says that, yes, there's going to be some people that get the literature and they're going to throw it away. I, I've, I've heard sometimes people say, well, I don't know if I want to pass out literature because they might be throwing it away. And that's wasteful. Well, she says, don't let that stop you from passing it out. She said, <clears throat> if you don't give literature to people because they might throw it away, then you're missing people who wouldn't throw it away who would accept the truth. Right. So she says, don't let that be a, a reason for stopping uh, to share the literature just because they might throw it away. So 
putting two together decreases the chance of them throwing it away because there's more of a chance that it's going to hit what they need. And when they read one track that they like, the chances go up that they're going to read another track. And then there's one right there. And then they can go online. They can find more. You can actually find all the tracks' content all online. So once somebody gets one of them, that's where you know digital stuff is fine once they know about it. You know They can go there, read all the tracks. And there's even videos that go along with some of the topics of the tracks that you can find. The Hope Channel produced for us. And you can find those there. So a lot of different ways and, and things you can do to be more effective uh, as you share literature. Um, a couple practical things that I, that I want to talk about. Let's say that you're back at church and maybe you want to get involved with helping to lead uh, an outreach on a Sabbath afternoon or lead an outreach maybe for a Pathfinder Club or for anything else. Uh, there's a couple different things you can do uh, to increase uh, the participation uh, one of the biggest things is kind of what we're talking about uh, in this session, helping people to see, like we did with the rectangle and the square, that you don't have to knock on doors. Uh, a lot of times people have a very narrow view of what they think they're going to have to do to be able to, to share something. So give different options. Instead of just saying, we're going on an outreach and we're going to go door to door. You know, Don't narrow it down to that, but say, you know, we're going to have a couple different options for what you can do. If you want to go door-to-door, you can do that. You know, we're, we can ask for prayer requests, or if you're going with Pathfinders, maybe you're collecting cans or something. You can share tracks that way. But give people different options and say, you know, you can go door-to-door and, and knock on their doors, ask for prayer requests and pass out tracks, or do a Bible study survey, or you can knock on the door and just hand them tracks, or you can not knock on the door. So those all fit within the going door-to-door section. But then you can say, you don't have to go door-to-door. You can just go to a place. Now, everybody's a little bit different. There's some people that like to go into crowds and just pass out tracts to people. And they do that. They like to do that better because they're not knocking on any doors. And they're just more comfortable with that. For me, I'm the opposite. I'd rather knock on their door. Uh, because once you knock on their door, they come and answer it. Now you have a reason. You have to say something because they just open their door. So it's like that's a, the hard part's already taken care of. But if somebody's just walking down the street... I mean, it's fine. A lot of people have success with it, and you can get out a lot of tracks that way. In fact, we did uh, our, our Halloween uh, glow outreach. We call Glow in the Dark. I mean, we've gone, we went to Santa Monica uh, on the Santa Monica Boulevard and all those areas where there's thousands of people on Halloween, and we just had people passing out tracks. We'd pass out ten to 15,000 tracks in just an hour or two right there. And not, not even knocking on one door. The next year we went down and we went to uh, Universal Studios and the City Walk area there. We are passing out tracks to Universal Studios. We went one year to Disneyland area and we're passing out tracks there just because there's tons of people out on Halloween night. So you can go to a place. Where are people going to be on Sabbath afternoon if you're doing a Sabbath afternoon outreach? Well, maybe you don't know this because you're probably going to church and then going home and, and keeping the Sabbath. But one thing that I discovered is a lot of people go to the mall on Sabbath. Oh, the weekend, yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. I was in Southern California, and you know, you can see I like uh, Macs. I have an Apple computer, have uh, an iPhone. I like Apple stuff. And there was an Apple store at this mall in, in Southern California that I would go to. And you'd pull in, and there's like these huge parking complexes, and it's like 5% of the way filled. You're like, why do they... Why do they build such big parking things, you know, when nobody ever uses them? And then one day, 
we were doing an outreach, passing out glow tracks, and they were like, we're going to go to the mall to pass out glow tracks. We pulled in there. You couldn't find a parking spot. It's like the, the whole mall was full on Sabbath afternoon. And so tons of people. We passed out a lot of glow tracks. Now, now if you want to go in the mall and pass it out to people, you can. If you, I mean, Black Friday, thousands of people out there. Great opportunity to share. Uh, you, can, you can put them on car doors, or you can uh, go inside and pass them out to people there, especially on Black Friday. We, found, we did that at that same mall in Southern California. You know, there was a lot of people, a lot of the guys were just sitting around waiting for their wife or their girlfriend to shop. You know, hand them a track. Hey, you know, gives them something to do. So a lot of different ways that you can, that you can do something. But on a Sabbath afternoon outreach, if you're leading an outreach, you can have an option to go to doors. You can have an option not to go to doors, just to go to where people are. And you can say, you can pass these out to people. Or you can go and find different places to put them. I remember one time I was in New York City and I said, my goal is to pass out 100 tracks in one day. And not talk to anybody passing out the tracks anyway. So, and I found it. I mean, you're on the subway. You can put one on the seat. You know, you find a, you know, a phone booth or something. You can put one there. If you're, uh, you know, you go out to eat. You can leave one with your tip at the restaurant. I mean, there are so many opportunities where you can pass out tracks that if you just have your eyes open, you can find them. So, sure, going door to door is, is a great way to do it, but also... Uh, just with whatever you're doing, uh, wherever you're going to go, passing it out to people or on cars, uh, any of those are options for what you can do. So having a variety of ways that people can get involved, it will uh, be able to find a fit for anybody uh, who wants to be able to participate but maybe doesn't know how. And another thing to keep in mind, if you're helping to lead uh, sharing or outreach or something like that, keep in mind that the majority of literature that's shared is not shared during an outreach time. The majority of glow tracks that are shared are shared just day-to-day, people doing what they do and passing them out. So you don't, just because somebody doesn't come to outreach doesn't mean you should exclude them. Say, hey, if you can't come, take some of these tracks with you and pass them out wherever you go. In fact, a lot of times when I visit churches, I'll, during the sermon time, we'll make those paper pockets. I pass out copies of those things. I pass out scissors and tape during the church service, and we make those Things and those will hold 20 tracks when they leave the church service. Everybody gets a packet of tracks that goes in there. And I say, Your assignment this week is to find somewhere in town that you can put this up and people can come and take the tracks. Super easy. We don't do an outreach. We don't go out. We don't pull people's teeth out trying to get them to come to do the outreach. It's super easy because they can be involved whatever they're doing. So just the whole mindset of being able to be equipped to do whatever you're doing and just passing out literature while you're doing that is really what GLOW is about. Let me just share um, another story with you, and then uh, we'll look at at a quote, and then kind of wrap it up. And then if anybody has any questions, we can go from there. Um, Just after the mission trip I was telling you about, we distributed 900,000 tracts. Just after that mission trip, uh, there was a guy named Jacob. Jacob called our office uh, with a question about a glow track that he got uh, in Colville, Washington. Uh, he, he got the tract titled War in Heaven. He was reading that tract, and he said he was, he was shocked by what he was reading as he went through the tract. He said it gave information about, about stuff that, that uh, he said seems like it's been forgotten for a long time in our culture, in our world. And he said inside the tract, he said, it said to... Uh, one of the things that it said was to read Exodus 20 
and see what commandment uh, has been removed today. So he said, okay, I'll do that. So he went to his Bible, went to Exodus chapter 20, and he, he read through it. And he says, I think I know which one it is. Do you? Do you know what it is? And I wasn't the one on the phone, but the one uh, who was talking, she said, yes. And he said, I believe it's a commandment about keeping the Sabbath. Is that correct? She said, yes. Sabbath begins on Friday at sundown and ends Saturday at sundown. Sab- Saturday is a Sabbath and not Sunday. Actually, this is what the guy said. She said, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. And then he asked another question. He said, how did this all get changed from Saturday to Sunday? That's a pretty big question, right? She said, well, there's a long answer to that question. And she just kind of summarized it for him, showed a little bit about that. And she, what she says, she, her words are, I could practically hear him smile on the phone. He'd been studying for, for a while about the Sabbath, and now and he'd actually even read The Great Controversy. He, he liked Ellen White's writings, and he asked if there was any more that he hadn't read. So she said, yeah, there is. She asked, have you read The Desire of Ages? He said, no. So she said, okay, we'll work on getting you A Desire of Ages. And so uh, he... Uh, he got the Desire of Ages. He got the information for the for the Adventist Church that was the closest, and he wanted more uh, materials that could help him grow in his relationship with God. That is a powerful thing. I mean, can you imagine getting that phone call from somebody who got a, a tract? I mean, that's that's literature evangelism at its finest, right? The literature is the evangelist. The literature told that guy, go read Exodus 20 and figure out what was taken away. He goes there, boom, he says, Sabbath is on Saturday, it's not on Sunday. How did this thing get changed? That opens up a whole conversation where he can get more involved in his relationship with God and growing in the knowledge that he has of the Bible. That's the, that's the power of literature evangelism. It gives you the tools to share with somebody, even if you don't know what to say yourself. In the great controversy, uh, did I disconnect that? That should come back up. Great controversy, page 612. I want to look at a quote here, and then we will be done. If that's going to... Did I unplug that on my side, or... There it is. Okay. This is what it says in the Great Controversy. It's talking about at the very end of time. This is page 612. It says, By thousands of voices all over the earth, the warning will be given. Miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and signs and wonders will follow the believers. Satan also works with lying wonders, even bringing down fire from heaven in the sight of men. Thus the inhabitants of the earth will be brought to take their stand. Now what is this describing? It's talking about a time in history. Uh, Well, at some point it will be history. It's talking about a time in the future where there's going to be thousands of people and thousands of voices competing for people's thoughts and allegiances. It says there's going to be miracles, there's going to be signs, Satan brings down fire out of heaven. All the stuff that's happening in the world, it's causing people to take a stand on one side or another. That's what it's saying. 
at that time, people are going to be forced to make a decision. Continuing on the same page, it says, The message will be carried not so much by argument as by deep conviction of the Spirit of God. The arguments have been presented. The seed has been what? Has been sown. We've talked to, we talked last time about the cycle of evangelism. We're way down here. People are taking their stand on one side or another. She says the seed has been sown. The work has already been done. The literature, uh, well, we'll get to that here in a second. The seed has been sown, and now it will spring up and bear fruit. The publications distributed by missionary workers have exerted their influence. In other words, the literature is already out there. People have been reading it, and people are reading it. Yet many whose minds were impressed have been prevented from fully comprehending the truth or from yielding obedience. Now the rays of light penetrate everywhere. The truth is seen in its clearness, and a large number take their stand on the Lord's side. So at the end of time, there's going to be events that cause people to make a decision. What are you going to follow? What are you going to believe? And because of the literature that you are able to distribute, because of the literature that you and I can pass out today, tomorrow, next week, next year, until that time comes, the literature that we can plant as seeds in people's homes, on their cars, wherever we go, that literature can have an influence. And even if, notice what it says there. It says, many people whose minds were impressed have been prevented from fully comprehending the truth or from yielding obedience. What does that mean? That means when you met them, maybe they didn't seem that interested. When they read the tract, they understood, but they didn't really fully understand what everything meant and how it was connected. Or maybe they understood it, but they haven't been able to actually act on it yet. Yielding obedience is the way that she says it. Many people are in that situation where they're ready to make a decision or they have the foundation that they need to make a decision because of the literature that you distributed, because of the, the things that, that they've heard, maybe you know, through other media or, or whatever it is. They have that foundation, but they haven't been able to take a stand yet. But it, when it comes down to the end of time and they see those things happening, a large number, it says, will take their stand on the Lord's side because of the literature and the work that has been done. Planting seeds before. That tells me a couple things. Number one, don't be discouraged if you don't see results right away. You don't expect to plant seeds and come back the next day and get fruit. You don't expect to plant seeds. I mean, I can hardly plant seeds and then three months later get anything out of it, but that's another story. You know, you don't expect to see something right away. So just because you don't see anything directly from, from your work passing out literature that you would term as success doesn't mean that you're not being effective. Now, that's a key point. Don't ever forget that. Just because you don't see success with your own eyes doesn't mean the literature that you're sharing isn't having an impact. Because sometime, someday, somebody's going to take their stand on the Lord's side because of the literature that you distributed. And you can be involved in having an impact in their life because of what you've done. Um, our time is finished, but uh, if anybody has any questions on anything that we've covered or just about literature, uh, sharing literature in general, we can take those. I really see the good tracks, but uh, I thought of um, wanting to reach my, my former neighbors with, with books. And what do you think about the idea of 
packing a couple of books of Spirit's Prophecy in a package and mailing it to an address. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. So the question uh, for the recording here is, uh, what, what about the idea of mailing some Spirit of Prophecy books to a former neighbor um, and doing it that way? Um, what, what kind of books? Really, it depends. Uh, that, this is related to another question that we get asked all the time uh, with GLOW. And that is the question, they say, which one is the best to share with people? Well... There is really no good answer for that question, uh, except for all of them. Because, I mean, unless there's heresy in what you're giving them, I mean, you never know what that person is experiencing, and you never know what the right, what the best tract is for that person. So, it's, it's hard to say. So, you, so yeah, there's, there's certain things. If you read Publishing Ministry, Cole Porter Ministry, there's a couple principles that it says, uh, there's a few books that it says she would like to be in every home. One of them is Desire of Ages. One of them is Great Controversy. One of them is Patriarchs and Prophets. Um, it's, it's very interesting to see some of what she says about that. So you can find some of that in, in, in what she writes. So some of those main books, Conflict of the Ages, are very, very good for people just learning in general about the Bible and different topics like that. But... You know, one answer that will blanket every situation doesn't exist. And so, you know, just that's why we say with the glow tracks, if you can share two at a time, that's going to help uh, the effectiveness. So maybe you send them a couple different books. Depends on how well you know them. If you know them fairly well, you might be able to hone in on, you know, maybe something from a conversation you had that, you know, it depends on if you're going to send them anonymously or if you're going to identify yourself. You know, that can also play a role in, in deciding what you're going to do. So, but, you know, there's not one answer that, that works for even most situations. It's just, most of the time it's just you pray that, that what they end up with is what, I mean, there's, there's countless stories of people sharing about, you know, they have the perfect opportunity to share a track. They've had the perfect meeting with somebody and they reach into their wallet and the only track they have is like state of the dead or like, something crazy, and they're like, man, this is not going to be a good track to give to them, and they give it to them, and they're like, this is just what I needed. So, you, you never know, but there's, there's certain principles and certain books that she said she'd like to see in every home. Yeah, any other? Um, I was curious, I have a friend who is actually Jewish, or converting to Jew, Judaism, and I was telling her about the 2300-day prophecy, and I sent her the Amazing Facts Bible study on it, but she it talked about the New Testament, so she didn't read it. Is there any... Do you have any resources specifically for Jews? And do yeah. you have any that are on the 2300 days that don't include New Testament? Um, we do have two tracks that are specifically for Jew, the Jewish mindset. One of them is called Healthy is Kosher. Mm-hmm. It's on health. And then there's another one uh, called, it's on the Sabbath. So those are written specifically for Jews or the Jewish mindset. Um, so you can find those if you go to the website. You can you can find those, but those are relatively new within the last year. Uh, we've we've had those. Do you have yeah. for like Buddhists? We do have uh, tracks for Buddhists. Um, there are I think three or four of them. Uh, you can also f- find those on the website. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not sure that they're identified as that because our website is designed for non-Adventists. Oh. So they're not going to say, you know, here's how to reach a Buddhist. And if a Buddhist gets on there, they're like. Uh, oh. <laughs> So there's one called, I think, Jesus Can Help. Uh, 
there's a few. I can look at the website and, and we can connect on that. Or uh, if if you call any of the number on the back of the glow tracks, you can get in touch and, and they can direct you to the right ones. So, any other questions? Um, maybe we can just close with a word of prayer, and if you have any other things, then you can ask individually. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to share uh, the truth with others and the fact that we can do that through literature. And we just pray that uh, you'd be with us as we uh, prepare for Sabbath and uh, be, as, as we go on the outreach to share with others as well this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.